0: Good morning,
1: everyone. Am I on, Kent? Okay. Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, take this time to uh, welcome everyone to Northwest Church of Christ uh, Zoom Sunday morning meeting, and I want to welcome all the guests also that had to have to be uh, tuned in with us. Um, I'd like to uh, take this time to. Uh, let everyone know that I hope we're leaning on Jesus through these unprecedented times and uh, God's always in control. And I'd like to take a uh, time to tell everyone uh, from Dolores and I thank you for your prayers, your cards and your phone calls, uh, very encouraging. And I'd like to let you know that I went through my first chemo uh, this week and uh, something I wouldn't want to go through again but I have to but the whole time I was going through it I was thinking God does not put more on me than I can stand and uh, I can do all things through Christ Jesus and I think about the times where I uh, feel that it's pretty tough and I got to thinking about Jesus what he went through to go to the cross to die for our sins so the things that I'm going through is nothing compared to that. So I just want to say thank you to everyone and welcome this morning. And can't thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Um,
2: I'm going to be uh, praying in English and in Spanish. So. Um, if we all bow down. Padre, gracias por un día más de vida que nos has dado, Señor. Gracias por el privilegio que nos has dado de, de estar con nuestras familias, Señor. De mirarlos, Señor, y estar con ellas, Padre. Um, perdona todo pecado en nuestras vidas, todo lo que no te agrade de ti, Señor. Que siempre miremos a ti, Señor, y que, que nuestra fe crezca en ti, Señor que um, todo lo que hagamos lo hagamos con tu propósito y con tu voluntad, Señor. Father, thank you for another day you've given us to to live and to be together. Um thank you for allowing us to be with our families and our kids and to to see them grow. Um I just ask that everything we do is uh we do it um with your purpose and that we do it with, uh, your love, um, help us to, to be a light to those that need it, um, um, help us, um, to look up to you and that our faith grows, um, help us to learn more about you and to, um, share your, your word, um, help those that are, needing your help, um, those that need your healing. Um, I ask that you help those that are out of the country doing mission work still, um, help them, provide for them, give them strength to continue. Um, Thank you for allowing us to get to know more about our family and our kids and our spas. Um, I know you do things for a reason and just help us to understand that reason and help us to understand what uh, you want us to understand. Um, Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: The
3: true light <laughs> that gives light
4: the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He had or a husband's will, but born of God. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John
0: 1, 9-14 His life was given
5: I guess since I see the uh, green perimeter around my face, that means it's my turn. (laughs) Uh, It's time for the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper uh, is the very center of church. Uh, It's why we have church. It identifies who we are. And we are the people of the God who loves us so much that he would give his only son that we might live. Um, I think that's especially significant to us as we face these times of life and death. Um, You turn on the news, you turn on TV and it's all about the pandemic. Uh, I saw today 160,000 plus people have died from the pandemic. And we can't help but wonder if we will, ourselves, will fall victims of the virus and maybe even die too. That's all over TV. Uh, Something else has been on the TV this morning. I don't know if you've turned it on, but today is the 25th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, where 168 people were killed. And most of you know, maybe a few of you don't, who are newer, that. My sister Diana was one of those killed in the bombing. So what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, the Supper commemorates Jesus giving his life on the cross so that we won't have to be afraid of death. Uh, During that time, I was interviewed uh, on Larry King Live, uh, which... For some of you younger folks that was a one of the bigger talk shows, uh, news talk programs and he asked me about God's involvement in the bombing and and that's that's a normal question uh, in times like these people wonder what is God's involvement? Uh, people wonder about the pandemic they Is it a plague from God? Does God care that thousands are dying? Are we being punished? Um, If one of my family dies from the virus, why didn't God stop it? Uh, Did God cause, Larry King asked, did God cause the Oklahoma City bombing? I told Larry King that I had no answer but I did know that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And what that means is that God cares about us and loves us no matter how things might look, no matter how bad things might become, no matter uh, even if death touches us personally, God loves us. And the cross says that specifically. It means that the cross was God's way of defeating death. The result of Jesus' crucifixion was the resurrection. That means that death is no longer to be a threat to us. In... uh, in John 11, Jesus says to Martha after her brother Lazarus had died and she's questioning him about why her brother died. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Did you just hear that? Even if we die from the pandemic, even if we No matter what, from what we die, we will live even if we die. And then he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he says, do you believe this? Well, do you? Jesus didn't just die because he loved us. He was also raised from the dead because he loves us. It's our guarantee that we too conquer death. And that's what this supper is about. That's what makes it the very center of who we are. That's what makes it the most important thing we do because it identifies us. We are the people of the cross. That means we give ourselves uh, even to death for others. Why? Because we're not afraid of death because not only are we the people of the cross, we are the people of the resurrection. We are the death defeaters. And that's what this supper means. So let's celebrate it. If you have your bread, let's pray over it. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you would be willing to go to the cross and send your son Uh, as your representative, as your person, and to die and suffer so that we don't have to, Father, so that we can defeat death. Father, we want to thank you for that sacrifice, and we want to commemorate it at this time. Bless this bread. Bless our fellowship, each of us as we take it. Help help us to feel a connection with one another and with you. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to spill your life's blood so that we might have life. And we want to commemorate your sacrifice and your willingness to do that for us. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.
6: You know, right now, uh, if you're like me, it's hard to remember what day of the week it even is. Um, some days it's hard to remember what month it is. I think it's 2020, um, but I'm, I'm not sure. It's time has gotten really, really weird. It might be 2035, time has really gotten weird. Um, but as Bill mentioned in his talk, and I'm really glad that he did, uh, today is a day of significance. It's a day of significance in part because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we do every day, and especially on Sundays. But today is special because it is the 25th anniversary um, since the, the Oklahoma City bombing and, and the courageous days that followed that. You know, that day was a day of loss and of grief and of confusion. It was a day of strength. It was a day of faith. And many in this people, and in this city, and it was many more things. You know, this morning there was supposed to be a special ceremony downtown uh, that would include music and the reading of the 168 names and 168 seconds of silence to remember and honor those who lost their lives, to remember those who demonstrated courage as first responders, uh, the survivors who remember uh, those who were lost every single day. But because we're again in a time of, of suffering and and going through this pandemic as a community and really worldwide, that this time of trial, even though it's not like that one 25 years ago, it's still difficult nonetheless. You know, the assembly, that was supposed to be downtown, was conducted virtually this morning, just like we're conducting our worship services virtually today. You know, Northwest, we were most touched, I think, most of us by the passing of uh, of Bill's sister, Diana, and and that family has experienced that uh, every day, that grief and loss since then. And, and so we remember Justin and the entire Day family in a special way. Uh, but as a moment of silence was observed um, by our city and those who were remembering today, I, I want to start out this morning and just taking a moment to join in our silent prayers to all of those others, as we remember that day and and all of those who were affected. So uh, let's just take a moment um, where you are um, and and have a moment of silence and reflection and remembrance um, for for that day. You know, as we look back on that day and, and reflect on the time that we're in today, it was a very different time. Um, during that time of of kind of difficulty and loss and confusion, we were able to launch into action and rush to one another's sides, and we were able to receive comfort by coming together as an assembly and and through the lessons and teaching of the body and the hugs that were shared when we would gather at church. And today, we are Uh, able to help and support one another by staying apart. Um, It's a very different thing. And today, as we think about that time and this time and other times, I really want to look at three stories with you, three stories of the body of Christ as uh, it's dealt with times of uh, overcoming disease, overcoming fear, overcoming death. Uh, Three stories of the body of Christ that stretch from the life of Jesus and his ministry in the Gospels Uh, to the second and third centuries of early Christianity, and then finally to today, stories of the body of Christ overcoming all that stands against us. Uh, I want to begin in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 56 today. Three stories, two of them wrapped up within each other. And if you've been in my Wednesday night class or Sunday evening class, I, I know you've heard me talk about this text at some point fairly recently, but for me, it was too uh, poignant to our situation today to not revisit it. And so if if you've heard it before, um, I'm grateful that you continue to let the word of God uh, wash over you and transform you and hope you get something new out of it even today. Uh, but in Luke chapter eight, starting in verse 26 uh, the story begins where Jesus and his apostles and disciples are sailing to the region of the Gerasenes. But before we get into that moment, we need to go uh, do a little bit of background work. You see, for uh, a good Israelite or a good Jew in the time of Jesus, there were certain things that were unclean. There were certain things that were impure, and you didn't touch them. Or if you did touch them, you had to go through a ritual cleansing. Or you had to stay away from other people for a certain amount of time. In um, we don't have time today to go into all of the Old Testament scriptures that detail many of these, these rules and regulations. And then on top of those, a lot of times the, uh, the Pharisees or the teachers of the law would add new restrictions and new uh, aspects uh, of tradition on top of those to, to interpret them differently or more strictly or more loosely. There's a whole branch of study we're not getting into today. But to give you a few broad strokes that you need that will really apply to the passage we're going to be looking at today, Um, pigs are always unclean, always unclean. Uh, If you are a Jew, uh, you don't raise pigs, you don't own pigs, you don't touch pigs, you don't eat pigs. Uh, They're out of bounds. You want nothing to do uh, with the pig and the pork and and the hot dog, okay? That's not part of your world. Um, Impure or unclean spirits, demons, possessions, uh, that speaks for itself. You, if someone is possessed by a demon, you don't want any part of what they've got. You stay away. Uh, in, the, in, in the holiness and the purity codes, this is kind of a, a, a larger statement than they make specifically, but there's many specific teachings that basically teach that when the fluids of the body come outside of the body, they are unclean and impure and should not be touched. Uh, Coming in contact with them would always result in some time frame during which you cannot touch somebody else. Uh, This would even include uh, social distancing uh, for bleeding that happens on a monthly or ongoing basis. So if you have some kind of an ongoing bleeding situation during that time uh, when the fluids of the body come outside of the body, they remain unclean and anyone that touches them is unclean for a period of time um, and much more to be said there if you're interested in reading a lot of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, if there's a dead body, don't touch it. If you do, you will become ritually unclean uh, until a time of purification passes. And so you've got to go through the rituals to get cleansed and all kinds of things. Uh, and one of the things that I think is really interesting about these teachings is that these purification and holiness codes, uh, these, these rules about cleanliness and uncleanliness, Are some of the world's oldest teachings and practices of social distancing to prevent disease? Uh, A lot of times we read the rules of the Old Testament and think, well, that's a really bizarre rule. But the reality is, if you read some of the rules that are coming out in our uh, world today, uh, I was trying to research yesterday um, Israelite cleanliness and purity codes and accidentally got taken to the, the current day Um, ministry of Israel, Israel's ministry of health website, which had all kinds of rules, like um, don't share restrooms with other people if you can avoid it, and and wash hands regularly, and uh, do laundry separately. And I thought, man, this actually sounds like Leviticus, except that it's how we're living in our world today. To keep from spreading infection, we are social distancing. And so when you think about how lepers were treated uh, in the Old and New Testament, where they were asked to go live outside of the village, it's biblical social distancing. It's a way of preventing contagion that God gave to his people long before much of the world really understood how disease worked. Uh, the nation of Israel was able to practice a lot of healthy things because they had God directing them. All of that comes, uh, becomes incredibly important to understanding what's going on in, in Luke chapter 8. Uh, As we think about uh, how much Peter and the apostles and the disciples and all of those who were traveling with Jesus would have known, don't touch or go close to pigs. Stay away from dead things. Uh, If someone is possessed by an impure spirit, get away from them. When the fluids of the body come outside of the body, that person becomes unclean and anyone they touch becomes unclean. A dead body should not be touched ever. Um, unless you're planning to go through a series of rituals to become clean again afterwards. And yet Jesus is going to defy every one of those understandings about how uncleanliness works. Because the, the Israelites understood uncleanliness to be very contagious. So if someone was unclean and they touched you, you took on their uncleanliness until you could get purified or a certain amount of time passed. That doesn't happen in these stories with Jesus. So let's go into this this text and hear what's going on. But but imagine all of this through the eyes of the apostles who are thinking constantly and over and over again, warning, don't touch, don't get close to that, stay away, let's get out of here. And Jesus keeps going closer and closer to that which they're afraid of being uh, contagiously impure to them. So it says they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Now, if, at this point in the story, it's worth kind of stopping and reviewing again. If you're the apostles, what you've just done is you've come ashore in a cemetery full of death. You see a man who's so demon-possessed. In Mark's gospel, it tells us that he had wounds and, uh, and, and cuts all over him from how he would break the chains and that he's out of his mind. And at the same time, these demons that are out of control throw this man at Jesus' feet, bowing down to him, because even the demons know that Jesus has authority greater than anything they possess. There's pigs over there in the distance. This man who can't even be kept inside the clothing is running at Jesus like a wild man. If you're Peter, Andrew, and James, you've got to be thinking, let's get out of here now. This is a mess. It's a nightmare of impurity and uncleanliness. Jesus just simply says to the man, what is your name? And the demons respond, we are so many we are called a mob. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus... But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This story shows us that in a world that's afraid of the contagiousness of evil and the contagiousness of impurity and the contagiousness of uh, of all the things that are around us, Jesus walks straight up and says, I'm in control. I've got authority. I'm not afraid. What I have is more contagious than what this man has. What I have is more powerful and more contagious and is going to take over the world more than that which you think is owning and dominating the world. And I don't think it's an accident that Luke, the doctor, holds that story with all of its descriptive nature and all of these code words that say things are unclean next to the two stories that are woven together in the passage to come. Verse 40, uh, the gospel continues. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now remember, A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years has been unclean for over a decade. She spent everything that she has trying to be healed. She has done all that is possible to try and get her her ability to interact with people back. You know, one of the things that that is interesting here is that Jairus, who is begging for Jesus' help to take care of his dying 12-year-old daughter, likely would not have allowed this woman into his own synagogue because of her uncleanliness. And here is both of them, uh, as Jairus has dropped and knelt at at Jesus' feet, the same as the demons had before, so that all the way from the demons to the synagogue rulers, everyone is kneeling to Jesus. This woman, who is unclean, is afraid to even ask for permission to touch him. And she touches his garment and immediately feels her body made whole and made healthy and made complete. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds are crushing him. She touches him, and immediately her bleeding stops. And Jesus does something here that's remarkable. It says that Jesus says, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you, which is a way of saying everybody's touching you. It's all they do all day. People touch, it's just everyone touches you to get some of your, your blessing and your goodness and what is contagious in you, they want it. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from thee. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I don't think it's an accident that Luke tells us very specifically, how Jesus physically interacts with the the woman who had been bleeding on the road and the girl who was dead in the bedroom. You see, the woman who had been bleeding goes up and touches him, and he feels the power go out of him, and he feels what she feels as making her whole. He feels the power going into her to do that. She has to be terrified, which is why she hides and doesn't admit that she's the one that touched him when he begins to ask. She doesn't want to say, Messiah, Rabbi teacher, prophet, whoever you are, I have taken the risk of making you impure, you unclean by me, a woman who has been contagiously unclean for over a decade of my life, unable to touch anyone without telling them, I'm afraid you're unclean. You now must go and wash because of your contact with me. She doesn't want to tell him that. She didn't want to ask for permission to touch him to be healed because she was afraid that he would look down on her because of her uncleanliness. Jesus, however, was not worried about that. Jesus knew that what he had was more contagious than what she had, and that the life and health and goodness that was in him would become contagious to her far more than anything that she had could or would become contagious to him. The touch preceded the healing, but it didn't make Jesus unclean, and it did bring her wholeness and health and he goes into the room of this girl who is dead and before he heals her he does what would be unthinkable he touches her and takes her by the hand knowing that what is expected is that her death would become contagiously unclean to him that he would become impure because of that contact but instead what happens is that she gains life from him that her contagious death is nothing compared to the contagious life that is in Jesus. She becomes healed, but only after he shows that he's not afraid of what she's got. The demon-possessed man has a contagious, wild possession that should be avoided at all costs, but Jesus doesn't care. He was allowed to approach him, allowed the man to approach him and lay at his feet. Uh, He takes the man and makes him whole again, removing the demons, sending them into the pigs. Uh, The apostles would have been thinking, unclean, unclean, unclean. Jesus just thinks, I'll bring this man health and life and wholeness. And there sat Legion in his right mind, begging to become a disciple. But Jesus says, I've got a different plan than you than being a disciple. I'm going to turn you into a missionary. Go and tell everyone you know what God has done for you. Legion wasn't contagious to Jesus. Jesus was contagious to Legion. Jairus, the synagogue leader, has a dying preteen daughter, and Jesus goes to her, but on the way, a woman who has been bleeding and wouldn't have been allowed in Jairus' synagogue touches Jesus, but he doesn't become unclean. She becomes healed and gains wholeness. He's contagious to her. Jesus goes into the room of the dead girl at Jairus's home and touches her dead hand, but he doesn't contagiously get her death. He contagiously gives her his life. For those of us who are in the body of Christ and have the spirit dwelling within us, we have this source of light, life, health, and wholeness that Christ offers is now in us so that we can offer it to the world. And this belief and conviction for the early Christians in the second and third centuries made them behave differently than anyone in the world had ever behaved before. Uh, In the book, The Triumph of Christianity, that talks about how Christianity emerged and became a massive force in the world, even though it was persecuted, Uh, he tells the story of how the Christian church was truly revolutionary because of their principle that love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and even those of faith to anyone who was in need. During uh, the year 165 and 251, two great plagues struck the Roman Empire outside of the Christian church, there was, there was nobody. There was nobody who was proclaiming the need for mercy and sacrifice for care for others. Everyone was only interested that was taking care of me, myself, my family, my people. Mercy was regarded as a character defect. It was a sign of, of weakness. Pity was seen as a pathological emotion. It will only get you killed because mercy involves providing unearned help or relief. It's not the way of justice. So while a third of the empire was perishing from disease and plague, physicians fled to their country estates. They went to where they could be comfortable and safe and weighed out the loss of life uh, that would have been a burden to them. While they were doing that, those with symptoms were cast out of their homes, priests forsook the temples, but Christians, Christians claimed to have answers. And most of all, they took appropriate actions. Christians began uh, preaching and telling everyone about the forgiveness of sins through Christ, the hope of eternal life beyond death, which is what the world needed more than anything at that moment. But as for their actions, large numbers of these Christians started doing what no one else was willing to do. They took care of the sick and the dying. And toward the end of the second plague, the bishop Dionysius wrote a letter uh, telling the members of the church, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took care of the sick. They attended to their every need and ministered to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life serenely happy into the eternal kingdom of God. Over time, this countercultural, Christ sustained care for the sick and the poor. Had the effect to winning many people away from paganism because they saw that because of Jesus these people behaved differently they weren't worried about the contagiousness of the world because they wanted to proclaim and live out the contagiousness of the love and the health and the life and the light of Jesus Christ today we're very fortunate that we don't have a medical system like Rome did in the 2nd and 3rd centuries We're fortunate that our doctors and our nurses are well trained, well prepared, and are willing to sacrifice uh, their own safety, uh, their own security to take care of people. And so the needs that we have today that exist in our world are not medical. It doesn't require Christians to rush into the contagion, uh, taking on the risk that our doctors and nurses are willing to do. And we certainly are so grateful for them, especially those who do so out of a love of serving others um, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, we have people who struggle with a crisis of loneliness, a lack of community support, a loss of friendship near them in a time of need, a loss of normality, and a lack of access to our normal church family, our normal support structures, hugs, high fives. Um, We're riddled with anxiety and fear. And so today, in the year 2020, we see Christians responding like Jesus and like the early Christians, and yet in different ways. I wanna share with you some things I've seen just from our Northwest Church family over the last three or four weeks. The Quinlan's and our older elementary kids, the CIA Christians in Action, collected items, gift items and treats and placed in baskets to safely drop off at the doorsteps of many of our shut-ins. We had members going and visiting with some of our members in nursing homes through windows and on phones or by offering prayers together while separated uh, by glass. Audrey Hall reached out to me last week and she said that her grandma was having a hard time hearing the online services. She wanted a copy of our Bible reading bookmarks from last year so that she and her daughter Carrie could read the Bible to her grandma. Connecting to the church in that way, finding ways, even though we aren't together, to continue to worship as a people. Uh, Kelly and Celeste and Lisa, uh, Leslie, some of the other nurses and members uh, organized early, uh, still willing even now to answer questions and meet needs in safe ways through shopping or run errands or help people get to doctors, uh, especially for our most vulnerable members. Uh, Some of you that don't have kids may not know this or have gotten to see it, uh, but Laura's been having weekly Bible classes on Zoom for our preschoolers, our younger elementary and older elementary classes. Uh, And if you think Zoom is interesting with all of us here, you should see the preschool class. Um, It is a wild ride. Uh, Nathan and Brittany have had online youth group get-togethers and events and scavenger hunts. We have members who are in the medical field, nurses, nurses, we people in the food industry, delivery services, that are making sure the needs of their community members are met every single day, regardless of the risk that it means for them. It's been so encouraging to me to see some of our members who struggle with technological literacy. They're working every single day between Sundays to learn the language of the internet and social media, just so they can be where their brothers and sisters in Christ are. To some of you who are here today, um, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for working so hard to be a part of what we're doing. I've seen members who've made extra communion supplies to deliver to those who need it. I've watched Alton, who, in the last three weeks, has retired from decades of being a nurse at the VA, celebrated a major birthday, and you can still find him feeding people from a church van. Because hunger doesn't know how to take a week off. Alton doesn't either. Our elders and ministers keep meeting online to pray for you. Our deacons keep meeting online to make sure the church's needs are being met. People who don't know each other uh, but take communion together every Sunday on a regular basis have started sending each other cards through the mail with stamps and addresses to learn about each other's lives and encourage each other. Some of you have helped a couple of our precious widows move, maybe twice even, I get texts every day for updates from people that want to know about how Marcellus is doing or Janet or Dale so that people can keep praying. Our givers keep giving, our servants keep serving. You know, we've said for years, as long as I've, I've grown up in Northwest, we've always said that the church isn't the building, that it's really the people. Right now in the world Media, everywhere you go, there's a lot of people who are in their loudest voices complaining that they've lost access to their church building. And I'll tell you, I raise my voice today with thanksgiving and praise that our church family has proven what we've always said, that our claim that we don't need a church building to be the church is absolutely true. From the day Jesus healed and restored to the days the earliest Christians cared, served, and loved, we continue to live forward that tradition today. We don't need a building to be the church. We don't need an address to be a family. So whatever means we need, whether it's technology or creativity or, uh, or coming together and serving one another or calling each other, or writing cards or letters, there is no amount of sickness or fear or separation that can keep this church family from proving what we've always said, that we are the body of Christ, the family of Christ. body of Christ has always and always will make every effort to turn sickness to health whether that means caring for the sick or whether that means staying home to allow people to stay healthy. We will make every effort to turn evil to goodness and justice. The body of Christ will always seek to bring life to places where only death existed. The body of Christ will always seek to bring hope to the hopeless. Jesus did it. The first Christians did it, and we continue to do it today and every day. I want to thank you so much uh, for being a blessing to me in the past couple weeks as I've watched uh, different people struggle in different ways, but this church rise to the occasion to bless people in ever increasingly new ways. I hope that this lesson has been a blessing and encouragement to you. Uh, Often I get to be encouraged more by the things that the church is doing because as a preacher, I'm blessed to have a front row seat to much of what's going on. My hope today was to encourage you by inviting you into seeing what I get to see that God is doing in your lives and in this community and in this church every day. Uh, May God bless you and keep you uh, until we meet again. So at this time, we're going to let Dennis uh, lead us in a shepherd's prayer. We've got a lot of prayer requests uh, today, and we want to have time to do that.
3: Just a couple of comments before I I pray. I am very grateful for the fact that people continually write either on Facebook or to the church or even to me or or others of the elders and and make prayer requests and comments and questions. Um, This is an encouragement to those of us who are trying hard to um, keep in touch with with the church family. And it's like... um, The kid said a moment ago, this feels like I'm having a chance to touch you. I don't know if it feels that way to you, but but I see your face. I see your kids being bounced on your laps. I see the blankets over some of your children. I see uh, the eyes of Bill Oden as he stares at the screen. I watch you. Dolores and Marcellus and see the faith in your in your eyes and you all inspire me I cannot leave this day without a quick comment about it being August the 19th uh, pardon me April the 19th we never will forget it I I have a little tile that says we will not forget I remember where I was You probably do too. I remember the window shaking at Tinker as I faced the bombing and we all ran outside. And I remember what happened thereafter and so many of our own people were involved in that in a personal way. No, Bill, we won't forget. Did you know also that we have 10 nurses At Northwest, 10 women are nurses at Northwest. Do you find that interesting like I do? Obviously I'm married to one of them, but um, nursing and the medical field sticks out right now like a sore thumb. These people are being exposed and just like the first and second, third century, it uh, it is an inspiration too often. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I want to pray for the Rusher family. We think of them often. Know their struggle. Praying for Janet Keys who continues to need our prayers. Pray for the Starks family, both here and in Dallas. I pray for Homer and Frankie, Dolores' extended family. Father, I pray for David's brother, Walter, and I pray that you will strengthen him and strengthen David as he cares in absence for his brother. pray for the Northwest missionaries, you've always already been mentioned. We pray for them frequently, they're all over the world. They're in almost every country we can name. We know them in Africa, we know they are in Europe, so many other places, Southeast Asia. We know that on a daily basis, it's difficult in many places being missionary especially with children but now with this virus everywhere it's even more difficult more constrained and as the grandfather clock chimes in the background I'm reminded that time moves on this is a season in our lives the seasons come and go we are all of us aware of these mission people who exist beyond our sight who minister to people in different languages and we are all part of the church. I want to pray for our Latino brothers and sisters who are part of us at Northwest. We are them. They are us. We pray for the ones we have who are Latino in our church and for those we are seeking in the future. We pray for Dale Long. Moreover, for Nancy, that these two titans of our church continue to stand tall in faith. We pray for Brandy's uncle Ronnie Mayberry we pray for the Carson family especially for Angel's sister Dorca who suffered a fall recently we pray for Carrie Hoffman who lost her husband last week and still has two small children we have a prayer of thanksgiving for Dana King from Dana King for Tiago and Nicole and Kevin who have been exposed but are not sick for her doctor's friend who was released from the hospital after an accident. We're grateful for that. Kelly Carter's prayer request for Beth who is still testing positive for the Benefields who have lost two family members recently and Brad Benefield also still has COVID and is in travail. We pray for Mike Myers in Littleton. He's battling COVID and he's intubated at this time. But Father, we are grateful for your control over our our present and on our future as well. And this morning, as I noticed a bird in a nest just outside the window of our bedroom feeding four little baby birds reminds me and should remind us all that you are in charge. We are grateful for that. We praise your name for that. We ask your continued benevolence, long-suffering kindness, We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
6: Uh, We're going to have a closing song here in just a second. Um, But I wanted to let you know, we've mentioned it a couple times today, but I don't know that we've actually sent out a notice to the whole church. Um, Dale Long went to the hospital about two days ago with some low blood pressure. Um, He is doing a little bit better today. His blood pressure's up. He's feeling a little bit better. Uh, We're grateful for that. Uh, so be remembering the lungs in your prayers. Uh, Marcellus gave a good report on his treatment earlier. And, um, and I think, also just wanna let you know that, that Janet Keyes is um, not gonna be doing any procedures in the near, no not gonna be doing the proton therapy, but continues to meet with doctors. And so we're really grateful for the good reports uh, there. And um, remember, Bill odin has got a back surgery coming up. So we wanna remember that too in your prayers uh, as well. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and have a closing song, and then we'll leave the room open for five to ten minutes uh, to visit.
0: God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven up. starless in the void of the night. Our God is an awesome God. He spoke into the darkness and created the light. Our God is an awesome God. The judgment and wrath he poured out on Sodom. His mercy and grace he gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God, our God. is an awesome God. Yes we It says amen it's a green wood hey baby